0: My name is uh, Bill Bulger, and I have had a political uh, life that's uh, now uh, quieted down, and uh, happy to have the opportunity to uh, t- talk a little bit about uh, life here in Boston.
1: Almost like the biblical parable of Cain and Abel, his brother, William Bulger took a completely different path. At the start of this year, we wrote a letter to William Bulger in Boston.
0: Dear William, we are hoping, if you agree, to make a documentary on your life which we believe...
2: It is South Boston's own special opera,
3: an opera with an Irish melody. While one brother was growing up to sing with the likes of Ted Kennedy, the other was in a cell in Alcatraz.
1: William had been Senate president in Massachusetts for 17 years.
0: No one has been uh, a, remained in the office of the Senate presidency as long as I. I don't think anybody's ever going to.
1: We had read about William and were curious. And we proposed to make a documentary.
4: I look forward to
0: hearing from you. Your sincerely, Kieran Cassidy.
5: Another unbelievably strange twist to this story. While Whitey Bulger was running a gang, his brother was a celebrated star of Massachusetts politics. How did two brothers take such different paths?
0: In the letter, we did not mention his brother. I had my own life, and I was living it. um, And it was far removed from my brother. The committee will come to order, and I am here today to receive testimony from William Bolger. During the 107th Congress, the committee conducted... Eight years
1: before any letter, on June the 19, 2003, England, William had gone to Washington.
0: He had been subpoenaed. And hundreds of interviews. Mr. Bolger's testimony is the next step of the committee's investigation into the use of informants by the Department of Justice.
1: He had to appear before a congressional hearings, hearing. His brother, James Whitey Bolger the leader of the Winter Hill Gang, was wanted for 19 murders and was on the run.
0: Whitey Bulger is currently wanted on 18 counts of murder, as well as other racketeering offences, some of which were committed during his tenure as an FBI informant. He is currently listed on the FBI's 10 Most Wanted list.
1: William as had left the Senate after 17 years and was now the president of the University of Massachusetts.
0: The disclosure of the improper relationship between John Connolly and James Bulger has cast a new light ...on events involving William Bulger,
1: He would be forced to resign from his job.
0: So please allow me to speak plainly. I do not know where my brother is. I do not know where he has been over the past eight years. I have not aided James Bulger in any way while he has been a fugitive. Do I possess information that could lead to my brother's arrest... The honest answer is no.
1: It was the last time William Bulger spoke
0: in public about his brother. Mr. Bulger, what is it that you thought your brother did for a living in those years? Oh, well, I knew that he was, uh, for the most part, I had the feeling that he was in the business of uh, gaming and and uh, whatever it was vague to me. But I didn't think of uh, it for a long while. He did have some jobs. But uh, ultimately, uh, it was clear that he was not um, being, um, uh, you know, he he wasn't doing what I'd like him to do.
1: We had forgotten about the letter when William Bulger called. Yeah? We were surprised.
0: Sure first day I went into office, okay. Marty Nolan from The Globe said, Well, Mr. President, looks like a nice day, doesn't it? I says, Never mind your trick questions.
1: We had heard that he hated
0: journalists. When he gets
1: talking about The Globe, it's almost as if he's going to have to stop and get a venom transplant to continue.
0: Oh, do I hate that newspaper!
1: He had not spoken since a 1992 that's interview that's with CBS's 60 Minutes.
0: Bulger keeps the tension with the press alive by not granting interviews. I mean, who the hell are they? And he was reluctant.
1: He told us all anyone wants to do is to talk about his brother. Now obviously. We said we wanted to tell his story.
0: About your
1: As we talked, unbeknownst to us, events beyond our control were happening.
0: A profile of yourself, it would be your story.
1: The FBI had launched a renewed campaign.
5: Announcement by the FBI. Have you seen this woman? The FBI is offering $100,000 for tips leading to Catherine Grieg's whereabouts. These photos are from the early 1990s. Grieg has had plastic surgeries. She is wanted
1: for William agreed to the interview, and a date was set. FBI's
5: 10 most but little did we know. Grace, look. Ex- we will talk to you then. Send you an email before then. Okay. Vulture, a on the All the best. Bye, bye. List. 60-year-old Griggs is the girlfriend of 81-year-old Balger. He has a violent temper and is charged with 19 murders. Call the tip line at 1-800-CALL FBI.
4: Legendary Boston crime boss Whitey Bulger has been arrested
1: after 16 years on the run.
5: Good morning. The Boston mob boss who outsmarted and embarrassed federal agents for the last 16 years is a fugitive no more.
0: Whitey Bulger fled Boston in late 1994.
5: After a tip from a corrupt FBI agent alerting him, federal agents were closing in.
0: Inspiring the Oscar-winning film
1: The Departed.
4: Swear on your mother's (laughs) grave.
1: Jack Nicholson played him as the violent mafia boss. On June the 22nd, two weeks before our interview, after 16 years on the run, James Whitey Bulger was captured in
0: Santa Monica. We have captured one of the FBI's 10 most wanted fugitives, a man notorious in Boston and around the world.
5: Today marks the moment of when James Whitey Bulger will finally face justice for a number of his crimes, including extortion, money laundering, RICO conspiracy and RICO murders related to 19 individuals. William
1: would later tell us he found out when a journalist knocked on his door.
5: When reporters notified William Bulger of his brother's capture, he said, quote, thank you and no comment.
1: Satellite vans parked in front of his home. His brother was everywhere, and so now was he.
5: He rose to the top of the state's political pyramid as his brother took control of the criminal underground.
1: And NewsCenter 5's Jorge Quiroga is live in South Boston tonight, where Bulger has just issued a statement. Jorge?
3: Well, Ed, once again, in a
0: statement released less than an hour ago, former Senate President William Billy Bulger expresses his sympathy for all the families hurt by what he calls the circumstances of his brother's case, and he asks that he and his family be left alone. He has not spoken publicly about his notorious brother again.
1: We flew to Boston more in hope than expectation. During the flight, we watched William again on our
0: laptop. I am particularly sorry to think that he may have been guilty of some of the horrible things of which he is accused. He has heard me often enough speak of society's right to protect itself and to impose severe penalties on anyone guilty of such deeds. I am mindful of the victims in this matter and I do not have the words that are adequate to let them know of my own sympathy and anguish. But I am ever mindful of the Good Shepherd story and its lesson that no one is to be abandoned. I care deeply for my brother.
1: We sent William an email and spent a day waiting around our hotel room. Then we called him. He told us to wait, and he'd come to collect us.
0: No, you didn't. No, you weren't. The idea is you came this far. I really felt as though I could do something. I really appreciate that. Logan Way is a street in the Old Harbor housing project in South Boston, and we moved in into that housing project. In my house, there was my mother and my father and uh, three uh, sisters. Gene and Carol and Sheila, and two brothers, James and John. That was our family. We arrive in Logan Way. Buteras lived there, the Quirks, the Duffies, the Burks, and 49 and 47, the Mulhalls. Mokley lived at 51.
1: The Bulgers lived at number 41. Joe Moakley, who was to become a congressman, grew up at 51, 10 doors up.
0: It was Mowgli who left the seat in 1960, and I jumped into the vacant seat. He then left uh, the Senate seat in 1970, and I jumped into the seat, and he went to the Congress. And uh, he was there for 31 years. And uh, we were good friends, always good friends. And had he not been... um, had he not died, I probably would not have been uh, called to go before the Congress. He, I think he'd see the unfairness of that. But he would say that there's no basis. The biological relationship is not a basis to uh, bring somebody there. As he
1: stood there in Congress, questions came back to Logan Way and a former resident, John Connolly.
4: Did you, you you grew up with John Connolly, didn't you? I did. And you and your bro- brothers were were buddies of John Connolly throughout your childhood and into adulthood.
0: I didn't know that. That's all oh. Well,
4: were you or weren't you?
0: No. I mean, I I know when I went into the army in the year when I was 19 years of age, John Connolly was 12 years of age. Oh, I see. So it's highly unlikely in the course of normal relationships.
4: So he was very close to to Whitey, though? He was closer to Whitey? (laughs) I I don't think so. Well, how did he and Whitey get to know each other?
0: I think it all came years later. I went in the Army, and then I had what we would call the GI Bill, the benefits of having been in the service during wartime. It was wartime, but I didn't get shipped off to the war, because the war was ending as we were coming out of basic training. So I came back, After two years,
1: William Bulger returned home to Logan Way, but all had changed.
0: My brother was in huge trouble. Bank robbery was the charge. That was shattering because he was sent to jail for, uh, I don't know, 15 years or something, and it was, uh, it seemed an eternity. Those were tough events. But, uh, but life went on. We, we get through things. And uh, began again my uh, college education. I was very fortunate. How are,
3: how are you? Thank
0: you for your hospitality. Oh, well, you're
3: very
0: we arrive at Beacon Hill, Ireland.
1: the home of the Massachusetts oh, Senate. <laughs> the staff still call William Bolger Mr. President
0: shed what? blood for that title. <laughs> I'm still shedding it. Absolutely. <laughs> at least you're still
1: smiling. Oh, sure. So at least you're still
0: smiling, they say. I had my own life, and I was living it, um, and it was far removed from my brother. And it was during that whole decade uh, that he was incarcerated. I mean, I was... Uh, I don't know I I ran for office I was elected and he doesn't come back on the scene until I think the mid-60s and then in later years um, I I had one or two critics especially one who there was this constant theme that uh, we were one and the same person but my brother had never had an interest in political things I'll see you up there thank you And then in 1958, I went to the law school. That's three years, three years at the law school. But in the year 1960, a rare event took place. The, The House of Representatives seat, of which there were two in my district, became vacant.
1: And so William decided to run for office. But at his first ever political meeting, the thorny subject of his brother reared its head.
0: He took me by surprise, I have to say. You know, and my wife was there, and uh, she has often said she was just so surprised that I would get so charged up and walk right up and as though I owned the hall. <laughs> she said, you, became, you were emboldened by whatever. A fellow's name was Bob Denine, and Bob Denine was sent over by some other fellows. They were all standing over there. There was a bar, and he said, uh, you should be in jail with your brother. And uh, I was taken aback by it. And then I decided I'd just get up there and fight. Or I'll just go home and, uh, you know, crawl under the covers. <laughs> but uh, I was then more determined than ever to win. I was elected in 1960, reelected in 62, 64, 66, and 68. And then in 1970, I ran for the Senate. Another vacant seat came up. And uh, I was elected, and then 72, 74, 76, 78, 80, (laughs) again.
1: While William was working as an elected representative, James Whitey Bulger was released from prison.
4: Let me ask a few questions here. I just wanted to clarify one thing. The Winter Hill mob or gang or whatever you want to call it, uh, he was pretty much the head of it. And when they gave the approval to kill Deegan... Uh, I'm sure that they had to know that. I'm sure he had to know that Deegan was going to get hit.
0: Could I ask you what year that was, Congressman? uh... Uh, What year was that? When is it? What year was that? 1965.
3: Was that right? Okay.
0: I think it's the year my brother was released from prison, 1965. So I...
4: He, he nevertheless was very tightly uh, involved with all these guys. He, he was. Well, he was the head of the Winter Hill Mob, uh, as far as I know. Isn't that correct? He he was. I know he was in Alcatraz.
0: Right, and I don't think he could he could manage it from there. I'm not being. I don't mean to be uh, seeming. Excuse me for that. I, no, but I mean there. That's the, my problem with this. I understand. You see my problem. I, I ran for office, I was elected, and he doesn't come back on the scene until, I think, the mid-'60s. And uh, even then, I, go, I did help him to get a job, but uh, back to this whole business of people, uh, if they make any kind of a transgression, they, they wear it the rest of their lives. And he, when he was on the job, one or two political... Folks in town they 're not bad people, but they um they discovered that he was there, and they uh, raised their voices shrilly against his being on a job and uh, so he lost the job i was sa- sorry about that, and I must say this about my constituents. they read and heard all of this stuff over the years, and they ignored it they were um, they were very good with me. They, I, I, I didn't answer it. I ignored them, the uh, critics, and uh, I was elected, I was re-elected. I was re-elected for thirty-five years.
1: William Bulger was elected head of the Senate in nineteen seventy-eight. He was to be president for seventeen years.
0: No one has been uh, remained in the office of the Senate presidency as long as I. I don't think anybody's ever going to <laughs> again, but the uh, the. I think the the max may be right here. Um, He was uh, about seven or eight years. He was a predecessor of mine, Kevin Harrington. But there won't be much more. I doubt that anybody will go 10 or 12 years. It's very demanding. (laughs) Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Chairman Davis, Mr. Waxman and my colleagues on this committee and invited members... As
1: William Bulger forged a political career, James Whitey Bulger had become the leader of the notorious Winter Hill Gang, and unbeknownst to anyone, he was also an FBI informer. His handler was John Connolly.
4: What must be described as one of the most shameful and troubling chapters in the history of the U.S. Justice Department and the FBI, this crime spree
0: saw the case of Brian Halloran, who had turned to the FBI for protection in fear of his own life. He was turned away by the FBI. And only a short time later, he and his friend Michael Donahue, who was an innocent bystander and who had merely given Mr. Halloran a ride, were gunned down in cold blood
3: in my own neighborhood of South Boston.
5: I am Patricia Donahue. We're in Dorchester, Mass. My name
3: is Tommy Donahue. And we are in Dorchester, Mass.
2: I'm Michael Donahue, and we're in Boston, Mass.
3: I was eight years old. A young eight years old.
2: I was 13.
5: I was cooking in my kitchen, and in those days we had TVs in our kitchen, and a news bulletin came across, and it was a gainland slang. I just looked, and I didn't pay any attention to it because I knew it didn't involve me. And then the 6 o'clock news came on, and I recognized the car. And that's how I actually knew that my husband was killed. I was kind of in shock. I was calling all the hospitals to find out what hospital he was in. They wouldn't give me any information. The kids knew that there was something wrong. Um, they were, we were living in a one family at the time, and they were sitting at the top of the stairs, and they saw all this commotion going on, people coming in and out. And they knew something was going on, but they didn't really know what. So after the police had come and had taken me to the hospital to identify my husband, when I came back, that's when I sat down with my children and explained to them what had happened.
3: Oh, yeah. How could you not? How could you not remember that conversation?
2: It was all over the papers within the next couple days, you know, the very next day. It was front page news for a week, so there was really no shielding us from it. He was also the son of a Boston cop, and uh, that was part of the part of the headlines, you know, son of Boston cop slain. And uh, Painted is an, an innocent victim, you know. He stopped by the pub after work, and uh, while he was there, a guy asked him if he could give him a ride home, who lived in the neighborhood, and that guy had been on the Bulger hit list. Bulger was waiting on him outside the bar. And when they came out, they jumped in the car to drive away, and Bulger pulled up to the car with, with machine guns and sprayed the car. And and uh, the other guy he was with, Brian Halloran, wasn't killed instantly. He actually got up, walked out of the car, and Bulger jumped out of the car and run over to him with a machine gun, shot him up and down with a machine gun, still didn't kill him, and uh, when they put him in the ambulance, he's still good for 35 minutes and Bulger had put on a floppy wig and a mustache. And coincidentally, it looked like another guy that they knew. So I assume in shock, Halloran had thought it was another guy named Jimmy Flynn. So his dying declaration to the police in the ambulance was, Jimmy Flynn shot me, Jimmy Flynn shot me. So uh, at that point, it goes in the news, Flynn goes on the lamb. He's gone for a couple years, you know. So as far as we're concerned, it was Flynn who killed him, Bulger's name. Never even came into play until maybe 1999, 2000. So they apprehended James Flynn a couple years ago. A couple years later, I want to say 84, maybe 86, and he had a trial, a murder trial, which I went to with my mom, and uh, and he was acquitted. I mean, rightly so. He didn't do the murder. He was acquitted, but uh, you know, it was the FBI knew who had done it. And, uh, and they let that guy sit through a murder trial. Had he been convicted, they'd have let him go to jail wrongly for committing murder. As far as we were concerned, fancy lawyer and got him off. I felt like that for years. I still hate the guy for, just because I've hated him for so long. I know it's not right, but.
0: And is it your testimony that in none of those telephone conversations and in none of those personal visits between you and Mr. Connolly was the subject of James Bulger uh, entertained? I, I don't th- no, I, it was. No, he didn't. He just didn't he, There's an awareness on the part of people that my brother is there, Congressman. But, but there are this is an individual is somebody that you and your brother grew up in the same neighborhood with him, you have a long standing relationship, yeah. he's in the FBI, he's running your brother as a as a confidential foreman, right. and he never mentions anything of like that to he you. He doesn't tell uh, me about right. it. He does not. He he I think years later, as he's leaving, maybe around nineteen ninety or thereabouts. It's becoming clearer and clearer that they all know each other. He knows my brother. But I don't think I ever was even aware of it until much later. You know, can I just, an an example. Uh, Governor Weld uh, served uh, for, I don't know, seven years as governor of Massachusetts. And we were very close during the five, five years in which I was still the president of the Senate. He never mentioned my brother. Never once. And we had traveled together and we we had worked together to resolve some of the problems that confront both the House and the Senate and the governor. And I can only say he never mentioned it. And that is not an unusual um, uh, way that the fact of my brother's presence uh, was handled. Everyone knew about my brother but Frequently, it was just something that didn't get referred to. Anyone who tells you that I was advantaged is engaged in a big falsehood. Everyone who um, would want to um, take a bite out of me always had that as the best avenue. We had a senator in here who, years ago, he was having a nervous breakdown. He had a terrible time and a very fine fellow. I speak with him now. I like him. But I still recall him standing in the Senate saying that uh, my brother was out there monitoring everything. I couldn't believe it. And it was pretty much what someone else had been saying in their newspaper columns. So he read it and was parroting it. And and we were I, I really felt bad for him that day because he He's the only one I ever knew who um, asserted such a thing, and it, it was him. He ultimately, I had to put him out of the Senate, and he, his uh, family thanked us because we made sure he got some help, and he's doing fine now. But that's the only time anyone ever made that. It, it's it's so obvious that that's not, anyone who had a choice whether to have that as a part of their um, situation. Or not would say no to it. They'd prefer not to have it. That's never a popular um, thing. It can't be. And I mean, every one of us um, is taken aback by it. But, um, and, and then they liken it to uh, some other fellow who's, who's aware that his brother was blowing up people or something. But this is quite different. I don't, I, these people don't indicate what they're doing. They don't tell you. And as a matter of fact, if you confront them with it, they, oh, no, that's untrue. You know? So you just, you don't know. It was in 1995. And the president of the University of Massachusetts had left abruptly. He wanted to go back to Chapel Hill, down in Carolina. And so he went and asked if, so the, the board Called me and I, right out of the blue, and they said, "Would you be interested in becoming the president of the University of Massachusetts?" And I did exactly that. It resulted in my having an endowment uh, grow from forty million dollars to hundred
4: and forty million dollars—a lot of money we we got. My name is Donald Stern, S-T-E-R-N. From 1993 to 2001, I was the U.S. Attorney in Massachusetts. Which meant that I was in charge of all federal prosecutions in Massachusetts, and that included the uh, indictment and charge of of James Whitey Bulger in 1995 and then in subsequent indictments as well. No one really knew what happened to them. No one really knew, in some cases, that they were even murdered. In, In a few instances, they just disappeared. One day they were here, the next day they weren't. Their bodies were never found. No one was ever prosecuted. Other cases, the bodies were, were, you know, they were gunned down on the street. But who did it and why it was done wasn't very evident. So the indictment, to some extent, itself um, brought a certain um, sense of, of understanding to the families of the victims. Uh, it was unique in the scope of criminal activity that eventually it uncovered. The original indictment was basically just the tip of the iceberg, and as the investigation continued, we were able to, at the time, uh, bring a subsequent indictment, which charged uh, Mr. Bulger and Steve Flemmy with 19 separate murders. I actually was told it the day before they were originally charged, maybe two days before they were originally charged by the FBI. You know, there had been some rumors to that effect floating around law enforcement, um, but it was never confirmed, and I was uh, surprised to hear that information and very surprised to be learning about it, essentially on the at the 11th and a half hour, essentially on the eve of the charge. In the course of the, the, the series of indictments, um, some of the um, defendants in those cases, um, whether it was for interests which had to do with discovering that Bulger was an FBI informant, whether it was to get a break on their sentence, whether it was to uh, essentially come clean with their criminal past. I'm sure the motives were all across the lot. But the fact is that a number of key players in in the Winter Hill Gang, a number of former confidants of James Whitey Bulger, uh, cooperated with the government. And uh, much of the information they provided was able to be independently Corroborated So that, for example, uh, some of the information uh, led to the discovery of what became known, at least locally, as a, as a mob burial pit. There were any number of bodies that were basically dumped into a swamp area. And as a result of the information that was provided, state police and, and other agencies were able to dig up those bodies and basically uh, determine that, that those persons were in fact murdered.
3: There was actually a couple pit of bodies discovered. Actually, one of them was a parking lot that we actually grew up drinking in after hours. Everybody always goes somewhere. We used to go to this parking lot, in it's Florian Hall parking lot, and there was a handful of bodies buried there. You know, Whitey Bulger, Kevin Weeks was the one who gave that all up. I believe that was the one where um De- Deborah Davis and um a couple other people were. He also gave up, Kevin Weeks also gave up, um... Another spot that was probably, I'd say, would definitely less than a mile from that exact spot, maybe even a half mile from that exact spot, was another set of bodies that they buried underneath the bridge, you know? Because you know what? If my father wasn't killed in a drive by and circumstances could have been a hell of a lot uglier, God only knows I could have been hanging out and drinking on the same spot that my father possibly could have been buried at.
1: You testified, you spoke
0: with him by telephone in right. January 1995. Is that the only contact you've had with him? That was, that was the contact. For, uh, for how, how long a period of time? Since that, he, he fled? Yes, oh, since he fled. What was the substance of
2: your conversation?
0: It was a conversation of about three or four minutes duration, Congressman. It was he calling me. It's at the very, like, the first four or five weeks after his indictment. So the tone of it was um, something like this. He told me that, uh, don't believe everything that's being said about me. It's uh, not true. I think he was trying to give me some comfort on that level. And then I told him, well, you know, we care very much for you. And uh, we're very hopeful. I think I said, I hope this will have a happy ending. Did you provide him with any uh, advice such as advice to surrender to the authorities no the subject i 've said this before in my grand jury congressman that that subject never came up
4: it 's been a yeah well, you know you
0: the, the thing was no big. Uh, I'd never even thought much about it. He called and uh, said, yes, "I hope you have a happy ending." With it. I really don't think that the, the Congress, the Cong- i went I had to go to Washington, and, and uh, by then I had political foes in the Congress. The before, uh, and uh, I don't think you, they should bring people up based on uh, biological relationship. I thought I think they were wrong to do it, but there's nothing I can do about that. And uh, so I had to go there, and uh, there was really nothing. They made it seem so sinister that I received a phone call. There was nothing sinister about it. I had told people about it. And, and, then the, and when I got back out of there, the governor, Governor Romney, was calling for me to step down. And uh, by then I realized that, you know, I had, if you think back to 1960 to now, 2003 or something, I had 43 years, and, and every foe had. Seized on it, so uh, I thought maybe that's enough. I was coming up on my seventieth birthday, and uh, I could see that perhaps it was time to go in another direction. One of the things I always liked was I had elections to deal with. <clears throat> there was something about getting reelected after somebody be laying down this kind of a barrage. It was it had sort of a vindicatory effect. I liked that. Sort of that shows them that I'm intact. Now I don't have any of that. I'm sort of just out there as just any other um, citizen, and I'm, I still have the attacks, but the, what can I do? It's impossible to deal with them, so I ignore them.
5: For a brief moment, they were reunited, exchanging smiles in a South Boston courtroom Friday. James Whitey Bulger, the city's most notorious gangster, finally facing justice 16 years after he fled. And his younger brother, William, once considered one of the most powerful politicians in the state. Are you going to be able to help him financially with bail, as Ms. Grant claimed?
0: I made a statement, and I'm going to just stand on that statement. I really have nothing further to add. Were you happy to see your brother? I'm uh, not adding to my um, statement. But you how waved he did you, did you? He recognize me. you? Um, did you recognize him and the way he looked? Um, yes.
5: How did he, look how did he look to you? you? you your feelings after you seeing
4: see him for all these years—you must have some powerful emotions after I, uh, not seeing your brother after all these years. Um.
0: Perhaps later I make a statement. I'll have to think about it. I just
5: did. He look he well to you? Very emotional right now. What is that? You seem very emotional.
0: No, right well, I it's it's an unusual experience. Um, well, I had heard every, so many. There are many contradictory things too, and I'm not sure of that. So I have to remain just uh, uncertain. I mean, he gets <clears throat> accused of uh, everything, all kinds of anything that will get his goat, maybe make him respond. So he gets accused of contradictory things. So, and I don't look at it. I try to avoid it. And uh, so um, uh, I'm not an expert on it. They all want me to be, but I'm not. I have a whole other life.
1: We asked the question, why do you stand by James? Why have you not disowned your brother?
0: The question I was just going to ask you is the obvious one that you were asked at the time. It was why. Well, my brother. And, um... I just don't like the idea of being, um... Uh, you know, if you're in a position where, um the threat is clear. If you don't do what we want you to do, we are going to lacerate you. We will make you pay. That is the tone of the demand. And um, I long ago uh, made up my mind that I was not going to uh, enjoy the sort of public esteem that... um, Probably would go with my being um, obedient to that. I, that's another snare. People talk about ch- the chasing of material things. That's another material thing, in a sense. It's, a, um, it's something we shouldn't, as political people, uh, uh, crave. If we do, in uh, the ordinary course, we'll become um, willing to give up a judgment. Edmund Burke had a wonderful thing. He says, your representative owes you not his industry only, but his judgment, and he betrays you instead of serves you if he sacrifices it to your opinion. How much worse is it if instead of sacrificing your judgment to your own constituents' opinion, you um, sacrifice it all to uh, those people who have the means to um, do injury to you because they have uh, cameras and microphones and print. And uh, so I, um, I think I should never be intimidated, even if it's reasonable, even if it were something I could discuss. I, um, I, I just think it's off limits for them. And so I don't discuss it. <laughs>
1: We have left Beacon Hill. Joe Moakley lived ten doors up. William spoke at his funeral. There is now a park named after Joseph Moakley. And I am reminded of something Michael Donahue said.
2: Well, I I mean, it's his brother, you know, and he's chosen the road he's chosen, and uh and and I think he's paying the price for it. After he left, um after he left the Senate he became president of UMass and through the scandal he sort of lost his job at UMass. But uh he's the type of guy who wanted to be like like, like a Joe Mowgli. He wanted to have federal buildings after him, he wanted to have statues after him. He'd have loved to have a park named after him, you know, like all the other um reputable uh uh politicians in the past in Mass and that's gone. He'll never get any of that stuff. And I think that punishment is worse to him than anything. It was from Seneca, a first century roman philosopher
0: and then uh, as I we pull up william tells me way, an anecdote said, it's about a quote that he had come across New York he liked it a city up there, seneca.
1: it was attributed no, to seneca said,
0: we're going to use we're going to attribute this beautiful uh, quote to john boyle o'reilly we're being very light about it and i did
1: Joe Mowgli liked the quote so much he started using it.
0: it. So after a while, he used it so frequently that uh, everyone thought it was Mokley's. And I used to say, I think it was Mowgli...
1: Joe Mowgli Mowgli used the phrase so much uh, that it is now carved at the entrance
0: of the park. If you look over here on this uh, pillar, you'll see the words inscribed in stone. Let's go... You can shut it down for a second and let's see if if I'm right about that Now, we see it on the pillar here at the Joe Moakley Park. Loyalty is the holiest good in the human heart.